This podcast may include adult content. Bound Off is an independent, non-profit audio magazine committed to paying authors for their work. To join us in our mission of broadcasting great stories to a worldwide audience, please consider dropping us a dollar or two at boundoff.com donate. Support for this episode comes from the Loft Literary Center, located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, one of the nation's leading literary nonprofits, offering a wide array of online creative writing classes for all levels and genres. Online classes are offered seasonally. Find out how to register at loft.org. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. It's our 100th podcast. For this edition, we've chosen to feature stories by two emerging and previously unpublished writers. Behold by Lauren Eller and No Moss Tears by Evie Causey. Behold. Written by Lauren Eller. Read by Kalia Williams. Listening time, 5 minutes, 56 seconds. Behold by Lauren Eller. We were delicate and we were raw, unbeheld and barely held together. We wanted no one to see us, and yet we wanted the world to know of our struggle, our triumphs. We felt comfort in the dark, in the warm clutch of hidden corners and unlit rooms, but groped desperately for the light when everyone had stopped looking. We traveled in packs not unlike wolves, scouring their territory and infringing where they shouldn't. We crept along the sidewalk and skulked through narrow spaces, putting as much space as we could between the here and the there. You'll stay away if you're smart. We were walking through the streets in plain sight but recognizable to none, laughing like maniacs as a sound dribbled from our throats and we kept our distance. I am embarrassed to be seen with you. We slept over each other's houses at any and all times. On the floors of our closets we would drink gin and beer nicked from liquor cabinets because that is what we did at sleepovers. We chased down the bite of alcohol with long-expired grape juice, the only suitable thing in the fridge, staining our mouths and our memories a dark, impenetrable purple. We would knock over the bottle, and it would seep steadily into the carpet for five whole seconds before any of us noticed. We went to school because we were told to do so. We did our homework when the time was right, when the night slipped into morning and the shadows grew large and looming. We did these things at unsuspecting hours, when all else were asleep and deadened slabs of stone tucked into their beds. We did these things in hallways, by door frames without light. They told us to do them, but we could never bring ourselves to in the way that they wanted. We saw bumper stickers, spontaneous and crude, plastered across the rears of cars. They inspired us. Posters around the block caught our eyes, made us think. Words graffitied haphazardly onto brick walls were our mantras. We cracked open the literature stacked high on our shelves. We devoured books whole, still snuck them with a side of longing. We stored the words and held them close. We found puppies in the street, but not the cute kind that anyone wanted. They reminded us of ourselves. Their fur was always matted up, and their eyes were lopsided, two differently sized marbles set into their heads. When we tried running our fingers through their spotted coats, but couldn't without coming away filthy, we gave them dinner scraps when the heads of the tables weren't looking, but they chewed ruefully on them before coughing it all back up. Late at night, they would mule incessantly, but no one heard, their agony silenced by the cries of a much louder and more insistent creature. 
We would walk down our respective roads and wonder at the world. We would see people and pretend not to care, knowing that these people did the same, and it would unfurl within us like a jumbled spool of thread. We wound our minds and spun our hearts, unable to look these people in the eyes. It was out of our hands. Something in us realized that it had been from the start, but there was always a part of our collective consciousness in denial. We watched them bicker and slay one another with the words, the words that at one time inspired us, and we wanted to do something, but couldn't. Most days found us crowded into a corner, watching, unmoving. They tore each other apart, a piece by piece, insecurity by insecurity. They ripped until there was barely anything left. Then we started in on each other. We took the words once cradled in the recesses of our most secret places and twisted them cruelly, our marionettes of demise. We instructed them to dance, intimidate, evade. We waved them in one another's faces like we'd seen the others do. We followed their example. You'll do like me if you know what's good for you. God forbid you might actually learn something. We listened when they told us the news. We were quiet and did not interrupt. There was something in the tone of their voices that told us not to squirm, something in the stiffness of their stances that told us not to speak. We'd learned long ago at the outset of the problem, genesis of the disease, to take the news and keep it unfamiliar. We would cup it in our hands and keep it at arm's length, nose crinkled. Just because we had to listen did not mean we had to heed. In short, we were just like the rest. We thought we were special, but we weren't. We made a terrible mess of things, fucked them up royally, but everyone does. We knew no one was listening to us. No one paid us more attention than they would their morning coffee. But we continued in spite of this and because of this. We did the things that we did because no one would hear us. We did them along with the rest of the world, communally persisting as we stumbled laughingly down the streets, as we huddled in our closets with violet-tinged lips, collected those ripe words just on the verge of spoiling, still unable to meet each other's eyes. Lauren Eller is a Quaker, a mandolinist, and a cat enthusiast. But above all else, she is a writer. She will be attending Kenyon College this fall. No Moss Tears Written by Evie Causey Read by Kalia Williams Listening time, 14 minutes, 30 seconds No Moss Tears by Evie Causey There's a difference, says June, rolling down the window, between being a bad bitch, she pauses to light a cigarette, and being the worst bitch ever. I laugh and glance quickly at her. June is leaning contemplatively in the passenger seat. Her skin glows dark gold in the heavy sunlight. Smoke unfurls across her face. I think about how gorgeous she is and my chest aches. What is it? What's the difference? The turn signal takes back and forth. We're stopped at an intersection. I mean, I don't really know. Just something I came up with. I guess she exhales warm blue clouds across the windshield. If you're a bad bitch, it means you don't take shit from anyone. You're glamorous and you've got control over everybody. And, you know, control over yourself. Like Elizabeth Taylor and Cleopatra. That part where she's on the balcony. Or Frida Kahlo. Jesus, have you read her breakup letter to Diego Rivera? I turn the car left. You did not understand what I am. I am love. I am pleasure. You are a shit. That one? June throws her head back and laughs. Yes, exactly. That one. What a babe. Frida was a bad bitch. Maybe the worst. I don't actually know the difference. Yeah, yeah. It sounded good, though. I pull into an empty parking lot. There's a wooden booth in the center with peeling blue paint that says parking. Nobody is inside. 
I open the car door. Heat spills over my feet from the pavement. June is already walking towards the parking stand, flicking her cigarette on the ground, swaying with glamour. The wind ruffles a few dark curls around her head. I catch up to her at the empty window. She's tapping the glass. Well, I say. We both peer into the dark booth. Why don't we just go? It's that way. As we walk down the street, past brick row houses and basement doors and dandelions growing between sidewalks, June holds my hand. I think I'll melt away in the August sunlight. I'm shivering. She smiles at me. I can't wait, she says, for you to meet Tanner. You'll love him. I nod and unlace my fingers from hers. I kick a beer bottle out of the gutter. It skitters and glints across the road. June and Tanner have been going out since March. I've tried to avoid him. It hasn't been easy. June is always telling stories about how sad he makes her, how much she loves and needs him. Sometimes she leans on my shoulder and cries. He must be handsome. The Charles Street backlot is hidden between tall apartment buildings with empty windows and crumbling walls. It is fenced off from the sidewalk. When we arrive, the sun is setting and shining through bright strips of fabric tied into the chain link. There is already a crowd gathered. On the wooden stage, a man crouches to adjust sound equipment. Feedback shrieks. Above the stage, plastered over abandoned windows, is a poster that reads, No Moss Ters. A woman's crying face is painted underneath the letters. On either side of her, a small tr small trees grow from cracked walls. August shadows are sinking down, thick Baltimore air that smells like asphalt and tastes like ink. June and I sit on the ground. Do you see him, I ask? Tanner, I mean. No, she says. I'm looking. We pass a flask back and forth. June lights another cigarette, lets the smoke tangle through her hair, drops her eyelids heavy and mysterious. I wonder if she enjoys these gestures, if she understands the power of her slender hands. Her lips remind me of bleeding heart flowers. She is gazing at a boy in white t-shirt and jeans. He walks across the lot toward us. June stands, grinds her filter into the concrete, and runs to embrace him. I sit still for a few seconds before getting up to join them. You must be Lydia, the boy says to me. June talks about you. I laugh. She talks about you, too. I must sound surprised. Tanner is medium height with dark hair and a round face. He grins broadly and speaks loudly. He looks strong, but not handsome like I expected. One thick arm rests around June's waist. She looks between us like a nervous dog. Cool. Great, she says. I'm so happy. You two should hang out all the time. I'm serious. I think the opener is about to start. We follow June into the crowd. The three of us stand together, drinking again and watching the stage. I look at Tanner out of the corner of my eye. He does not try to speak with me, pays me no attention. His eyes are fixed straight ahead. The first band is from the suburbs, three kids sweating in the fading sunlight. They play echoey guitar and stumble around the microphone. When night falls, they sulk off stage with shallow bows. We clap. Strands of light turn on overhead. They are strung between the buildings. It sort of hurts to look up at them. Everything shines and my eyes are starting to water. The dancing and talking and laughing is louder now. Something's buzzed into life with the lights. We are glowing in the warm night. June is getting tipsy. She places quick, sneaky kisses on Tanner's neck and winds her hands under his collar. I pretend not to notice. Later, as we are smoking in a dark chain-link corner of the lot, my unease fades. Tanner is unremarkable, sociable, content. His eyes shine as he passes me the joint. He gestures to a willowy boy on the other side of me. That's Douglas, Tanner says. He goes to Hopkins. 
The boy nods. His hair falls in a wavy blonde lock over one eyebrow. Douglas is a genius. He tells this great story. What story? Douglas leans toward me. His face is crooked and thin with sunken eyes. They look like black ice. I was taking a biology class. Douglas's voice creaks like rope, pitched low and soft under the music, where we had to dissect dolphins. They were down in the basement of this building, all laid out and sliced up for weeks on stainless steel tables. And one night I went down there by myself. Everyone is silent. We are all looking at Douglas, haloed by the orange glow of Christmas lights. He exhales a cloud of smoke and smiles. It was freezing cold, and in the middle of the room there was this dolphin. She was cut open, with the ribs cracked and everything. And I took my gloves off, and I, I put my, hand left, my left hand on her heart. It started beating. I could feel the blood running inside. There was a sort of a charge pouring between us, and in that moment, I was connected to everything, the whole universe. I understood my place in it. Jesus Christ, I say. Tanner laughs. Gets me every time, he says. I smile, but my spine feels cold, and I've become uncomfortably aware of the lungs, lungs expanding in my chest. Douglas holds up one bony hand. I think he is reaching for my face. Instead, he taps my shoulder. I can feel, feel the chill of his fingertips through my shirt. My movements are falling out of sync with my thoughts. Yeah, fine, I say. Tanner is holding a small bottle of rum, and I take it from his hands. I'm saying something about going to dance. The air feels sweaty. My boots tap across the pavement. I'm pushing into a crowd of people, squirming and swimming through them. They are warm and dark blue in the night. They smell. I finish the rum, trip, and a man in a plaid shirt asks if I'm all right. The stage is close, and everyone around me is dancing. I am a good dancer, except I keep bumping into people. My edges feel blurry. I am dancing with someone I know or knew a while ago, a friend of a friend. I am staring at the buttons of his shirt. We are talking with, I think, perfect friendliness and lucidity. He leaves and returns with two beer cans, unopened. Hands me one. When I open it, though, it slips through my fingers and falls to the pavement with a dull clang. Amber liquid froths over the ground in waves. It looks like sea foam. I stare numbly down. I can't move. When I look up again, the friend is gone, but I see June. I push over to her. She takes my hand and we dance together, not too close. It feels like I'm tripping forward. I can't help putting my right foot between hers, bumping our hips together. My hand is on June's dress strap. I almost tell her everything. Wow, guys, what's happening? It's Tanner, and he's laughing. I wind my hands around June between her shoulder blades. I love your girlfriend, I say, and it sounds louder than I meant. He's still laughing. Me too, he says. Me too. You are insane. What do you mean? I'm stumbling away from them. Who told you that? Did June say that? What? No, June mumbles. She reaches towards me. I laugh to show them I'm not mad. I want to get away. Pressing desperately into the crowd, I act like I have just seen someone, like I'm going to greet them. The standing bodies absorb me, jostle me, catch me in their current. A skinny elbow presses into my side. It's Douglas, staring absently at the poster of the weeping woman. I almost push past him, but he catches my eye. Hello again, I say. Yeah, isn't that cool? I noticed it earlier. No masters, No more tears. My eyes are watering again. I don't know what else to say. No masters, he said. What? Neither God nor master. It's historical. It means... All right, fine, I cut him off. I find my voice growing rough as the light shine, lights shine overhead and the music swells through my stomach. Okay, Doug, 
I actually don't care. I'm actually not interested, you know? He looks confused. The night is falling around me in a series of pictures, faces and hands all shoved together and touching under lights. I want to pull it together and find June again, maybe apologize, although I don't remember what for. Turning in a slow circle, I spot her at the edge of the crowd. She is dancing with her arms around Tanner. Her knees seem unsteady. She's a little off balance. Tanner presses his nose into her hair. I'm pushing through the crowd again. I want to swim back to them, but everyone around me is shoving forward, forward toward the stage. A boy holding a lit cigarette pushes into me, and I hear the ember end hiss against my skin. It leaves a round black mark on my forearm. Shit, he says. Shit, I'm so sorry. Don't worry about it. I can't even feel anything. Are you okay, he asks, but I'm already slipping past. When I reach June, I hold my arm out for her to see. Look, I say, look what happened. Oh, babe, she says, remorseful and giggling. What have they done to you? She leans across my arm to kiss the burn. It's already blistering. Her lips are cold and sloppy. She puts a heavy arm around my shoulders, leaning on me. I stumble. Tanner laughs. He puts a hand on each of our heads. Everything is clear for one moment. I feel my eyes focusing, see the muscles in Tanner's neck, every strand of June's hair. My skin is on fire where she touches me. My heart is pounding. I hear the sound of ice cracking in a glass. He's gently pushing us together. You two, Tanner says, are ridiculous. My forehead knocks into June's. He releases his grip, steps back. The moment breaks. I turn and slam my head into Tanner's nose. He screams. The impact shakes my teeth, sends a shock down my spine. For a second, I am blind, and the world is an angry dark blue. I reel backwards. Tanner sinks to his knees, hands covering his face. It feels like there's a dent between my eyebrows. When I touch my face, my fingers come away bloody. June stands between us. She's making, a cho she's making choking sounds. What the fuck, she says. What the fuck are you doing? Am I the worst, I ask. My voice is loud and shaking. People are looking. Am I the worst bitch ever? You are. You really are. What the fuck? What is wrong with you? June crouches down beside her boyfriend, stroking his back, cooing. I am left standing, staring at the faces around me. A circle is gathering. They blur. Tears roll down my face. June pushes herself up again. I need to take Tanner to the hospital. His nose is broken. Give me your phone. I reach into my pocket and drop it into her outstretched palm. She makes a call, pacing. Now, she says, money for the cab I just called. I only had five dollars in my pocket. I give it to her. Give me your keys, too, she says. And I do. You're a mess. Find someone to drive you home. I'm sorry, June. I'm sorry. Don't talk to me. She's leaving, holding Tanner's hand as they walk through the chain link gate. Please, I shout behind her. Please, please. I'm only ever happy when I'm with you. I'm just some dumb, stupid animal. It's not fair. You're fucking crazy, June says. A few onlookers laugh. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand anything. He thinks it's all a joke. The words slip from my mouth like water. Strangers shift uncomfortably around me. I stumble toward the fence. My legs are weak. I have no balance. I slip out of the back lot, closing the gate on silent faces behind me. The air feels colder out here on the sidewalk. Street lamps glow in the August night. I walk a few yards to the right. June has marooned me completely. I lean against a brick wall and slide down, hiding my face in my knees. A cold, light tap on the top of my head. It's Douglas again, the boy with the story. He looks like a skeleton, silhouetted and grim. His eyes burn. 
Have you come to cut me up? I hear myself asking. It seems far away. Crack my ribs open. You are very drunk, he says. Not really. Not that drunk. Pretty bad. He grabs my arm and pulls me. I stand. Douglas leads me to the curb. We wait like that, his hand vise-like. I notice that he grabbed my cigarette burn and the blister has torn open. Pus shines on my forearm, his fingers. It stings. A powder blue taxi cab pulls up. He opens the back door. Doug? Douglas, I say. I can't stop giggling. What are you hoping to accomplish? You can never make my heart beat. No, he says. That's your own responsibility. I get into the cab and Douglas shuts the door behind me. He does not join me. Riding through the city, I lie stretched out on the back seat looking up through the rear view. The stars spin above me in the night sky. I imagine myself as one of them, quietly burning. I imagine myself floating home on a gentle wave, washed by deep tides to stillness and perfection. Ibi Kazi is from Baltimore, Maryland. She'll be attending Bennington College in the fall of 2014 and post writing, art, and music at auoumbla.tumblr.com. Listener-supported Bound Off is made possible by grants from the Kern Family Endowed Fund. Further support comes from the Google Grants Program. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright, Bound Off, and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcast and how to submit your stories.